blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zdorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, J.J. Jerez. Along with me today is the writer who, in my opinion, most exemplifies sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct, Arif Dean. Arif, how's the first week of the offseason treating you? It's treating me well. I'm over here watching Dallas trail Vegas one to nothing in the third period of Game 5, and I gotta say, Vegas is down 3-1, and I'm a little upset Hutchinson wasn't the goalie that they decided to go with. But you know what? Let's see if Leonard can do it for them. Go Vegas. I really don't want to see Dallas in the Stanley Cup final, but we'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I kind of joked there, uh, I wanted to get into the award that does exemplify sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct, and that's the Lady Bing Award that Nathan McKinnon just won last week. Um, You know, I just want to start with saying who cares, first of all. But, you know, at least he made some funny comments there in his postgame presser uh, regarding Sidney Crosby, didn't he? He did. It was actually, uh, it was pretty funny. So one of the reporters, I believe it was Nick Kotsanika, NHL.com. Shout out Nick. Love the guy. Nice as, really, really nice guy. And he's from Michigan, from the Detroit area too. But he told him, you know, have you talked much to Sid about this award and the fact that you want something that Sidney Crosby has not? And McKinnon sort of joked and laughed about it and said, yeah, I was actually talking to Sid about it yesterday, which was a funny coincidence. And, you know, he, he made the joke with Sid that I now have the Calder Trophy and the lady being on you. As we remember, Sidney Crosby's rookie year, he put up over 100 points. McKinnon was not nearly close to that in 2014. But McKinnon also didn't have to go up against Alex Ovechkin, who put up 53 goals in his rookie season. So McKinnon's got a Calder. Crosby doesn't. Now McKinnon is a gentleman. Crosby is not, apparently, according to (laughs) NHL professional writers. And that's kind of my problem with the way the Lady Bing is ran. I don't know why the uh, Hockey Writers Association is the one that votes for it. And I'm not sure if you got to see uh, the article that Wyshynski recently tweeted out. Um, but it was basically breaking down how a lot of the writers don't really pay attention to their actual voting. They had A lot of them had tunnel vision. And you know, it was actually a reporter that called out all the people, all the writers that voted for Austin Matthews to win it and she said why what's your you know explain yourself here and a lot of them said I was only thinking about on ice I completely forgot about off ice and you know that's just uh, the biggest problem for me I think the hockey writers forget uh, to take into account a lot of things because you know that's not the only thing they vote on and so I think they kind of push the lady being aside there's got to be a better way for the uh, lady being to be decided I like the trophy just got to be a better way to to decide it there absolutely is and 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 it's that the NHL officials should be the one voting on it and the reason being it's very simple the NHL officials are the one that are that are best able to judge a player's sportsmanship on the ice. Uh, other players might be a little bit biased. NHL officials are at least able to, you know, give their opinion on who's more respectful, who's not, who 
basically whose back do they have? Because we know that if you're a player and you do the wrong things one too many times and you chirp at the refs one too many times, you're going to get some calls against you. Uh, 18-year-old Sidney Crosby knows exactly what I'm talking about. Not anymore. He's he's almost he's almost 33 years old. Well, no, damn, he is 33 now. August 7 has passed. He's 33 years old now and he's a hell of a guy, gentleman. But back in his day, he wasn't much of that. And NHL officials should be the one voting on this. It's been something that Jeff Merrick at Sportsnet has been harping on for years. And I 100% agree with him. Um, Nathan McKinnon ultimately won this award. We made this joke back in July when he was nominated for it. This award is given to the player that scores the most points with the least, with the least amount of penalty minutes. And that's why Austin Matthews was one of the nominees. And that's why Nathan McKinnon won it. He had 12 penalty minutes, only six minors throughout the entire season in 69 regular season games. Funny enough, he actually tied those 12 penalty minutes in 15 playoff games, but that's why he won the award. It really doesn't make much sense, and there has to be a better way, and you got to put it into the hands of the officials who see these players a lot more often than writers that do not. Yeah, I'm not saying that Nathan McKinnon isn't a gentleman or anything like that. But but on that note, he should have won it this year anyway because he's Nathan McKinnon, and any award he goes up for, he should win. Well, and that's kind of my fear is that it's almost a consolation um, for not winning the heart. They're almost going to just give him something because he deserves to win something in a year like this and in the past years that he's had. But they kind of know that he's not going to be winning the heart, so they want to give him something. <sighs> I, I I don't even know. I We got to wait for that award to get announced. Throughout, you know, back in July, I, I kind of had that conversation with you about how it would be okay if Dreisaitl won it because he's the year he's had – but And I know the voting was done back then, but after seeing the playoff season McKinnon had, there is not a better player in the league today who can dominate the game the way he does, and that includes Connor McDavid. McKinnon's got a physical edge on him that I believe McDavid is going to work on and take the mantle from Nate. But right now, it's just it's it's hard to say that anybody deserves that award more than McKinnon. I also think, uh, you know, he gets uh, finally a lot of respect around the league, and that's over the last couple of years, now he's finally in that elite um, tier of players, and he, he gets the respect from his peers. So that being said, he doesn't have much room to be an ungentlemanly person, right? When you're burning past everybody, everybody's going to be nice to you because they don't have much shit to talk to you, right? So, um, you know, I think it kind of makes it easy on him to be a gentleman like that and, and not get too many penalty minutes because nobody can keep up with him. But, you know, I'm happy to see him win an award. It's cool that he's getting more awards that uh, some Sidney Crosby, his uh, friend and idol, doesn't have but he can say all he wants that he doesn't care too much about these awards he cares about the stanley cup but obviously if he's chirping Sidney crosby about him he does care i mean he absolutely does we know that mckinnon is interested in winning the stanley cup and that's his main goal and nothing anybody says and no award presented to mckinnon will ever change that but at the same time he made it very clear it's something that we all know is a thing with these athletes that are highly competitive individuals and want to win pretty much everything and anything possible he said it during his uh his presser the other day after being awarded the after being uh named the lady being trophy winner he said any trophy that you're up for you want to win and that was in response to are you thinking much about the heart of the ted Lindsay?" and he he straight up said you know the stanley cup is the goal but any trophy and any award that you are up for and nominated for and a finalist for you ultimately want to win and you know as much as he says that 20 you know as much as he says he doesn't care about it anymore in 2018 he did care he did care that taylor hall beat him out he did care that he had that strong season and pretty much had the award taken away from him because of 
call it East Coast bias, call it late season bias because Taylor Hall had a better two weeks than he did before the end of the season. But McKinnon believed he should have won it in 2018 and he didn't. And I'm I'm pretty sure this year he thinks he should have won it. He should win it again. And we're going to find out during the Stanley Cup final when the NHL awards that trophy. We heard over the past week Joe Sackick say that he wouldn't trade him for the world. Obviously, I don't think there's any surprise there. When you have the best player, you're going to hang on to him. But it was nice to kind of catch up with Jared Bednar and Joe Sackick there at their little golf outing and just get their yearly, you know, I guess, summary of, of the season. And I think it's good to hear from guys like that, you know, a week after the whole thing, allow them to process and really have their analysis ready for all of us to hear. So, I mean, what were the, some of your biggest takeaways from their thoughts there at the, at the golf course interviews? The biggest takeaway I got, there was two, but the number one biggest takeaway that I got was exactly what you and I talked about the last time we recorded this thing on Labor Day, and it's that the Avalanche just stood no chance in the, four, in the third round in the conference final. And I understand that Dallas is up 3-1 to one on Vegas. Vegas is by no means out of the series. They're up 2 to nothing in the third period. Uh, they're probably going to force a Game 6. Hopefully they force a Game 7, and hopefully they can do what the Avalanche didn't do, and that's actually complete the 3-1 to one comeback. Sounded a little salty there. My bad. It's still the wounds are still fresh. It's only been ten days, but basically the point that I'm getting at is, Sakic and Bednar confirmed that all the guys that were injured were not going to be back into the lineup. The only one that would have made it back to the third round had the Avalanche won that overtime game last two Fridays ago was Gabe Landeskog. He was seven to ten days away. Today is exactly ten days away. Vegas and Dallas are playing game five. They played game four at the eight-day mark on Saturday. So Landeskog would have probably just been reinserted into the lineup now. Calvert was trying to come back, but had a setback, so he was gone. Grubauer and Francis, those are the two big names, were not going to be there. We've seen the way that Hudobin has been stealing these games for Dallas. Do we really think that Hutchinson would have done it? Love the guy. Sweetest human ever. Nicest guy ever, but he just wasn't going to cut it against the Vegas offense and obviously no Donskoy no Eric Johnson no Connor Timmins none of these guys were going to be back in that round so that was my biggest takeaway from that and uh, let's start with that I mean the Avalanche aren't looking for moral victories and and that they weren't going to play well against Vegas with the lineup that they had they were just overly decimated with injuries and like we said last week that luck factor is a big big part in winning a Stanley Cup and the Avalanche just did not have it in 2019-20. It is nice to see how Vegas is having a hard time cracking Kudobin, too. It wasn't just the Avs forward. So, you know, with Vegas being as potent as they are, for me, it's a bit of relief that, okay, it's not that the Avs were so bad. It's that Kudobin really is having, you know, a a Conn Smythe type of year here um, in this Let me Let me stop you there for a second. Against the Avalanche, Kudobin let in three or four goals a game, but still made those stops when he needed to most. Like we mentioned last week, the second, the third, and the overtime period, he was 27 of 29 in saves. But he still let in three or four goals a game. The Avalanche still scored a shit ton of goals on that guy. Vegas can't even crack the code. And that just goes to show how everybody talks about this very stacked Vegas lineup, and they are. They have Tuck on the third line, and they have all these guys in the top six that we listed last time that are just you know, exceptional forwards, but the Avalanche are that much better. Sorry to derail derail us there. Back to the golf course. Um, I thought the interesting comments that came out were uh, what they said about the goalies, you know, just knowing what we know now um, that Francis was dealing with an injury. Grubauer was nowhere near return, but I think mainly the fruit Francis injury. Um, do you change your sentiments from last week on, on the goalie situation? 
I don't, and it's not meant as a sign of disrespect to any one of those two guys. Grubauer and Fransuz are both great goalies, and they are both guys that you know uh, can hold the fort down when they're healthy. And, you know, that's a big if, but at the same time, injuries happen. It's a part of the game. It's not something that they control. Here is what I will say, though. We watched the Avalanche's defense grow to a level that they haven't had since the days of Blake and Foote and all these guys many, many years ago, over a decade ago now. Makar, Graves, Gerard, we noticed that we, we've now know how important Eric Johnson is, just in case we may have forgotten how much that guy meant. We now know how much he meant. And then Ian Cole and Zadorov. Despite how good that defense is, if Alex Petrangelo shows up to the Avalanche's doorstep and says, I want to do what Solani and Korea did in 2004 and sign a one-year deal for cheap, Sackick's going to be like, all right, come on up. Let's do this and let's win a Stanley Cup. I'm not saying that because Alex Petrangelo is going to sign with the Avalanche. I'm saying that because that's the way that Sackick is going to approach the goalie situation. Francis is a good goalie. Grubauer is a good goalie. But in a year where nobody has salary cap space to improve their roster and you're the team with the cap space and the ball is in your court in a year where the goalie market is literally fire, there is no reason not to go out there and try to improve. And it's the exact same thing they did last time. In 2018, they had Bernier who won a 10 game, who had a 10-game winning streak, who was good in the playoffs against Nashville, who had a revelation of a season, and they had Semyon Varlamov who put up a 920 save percentage after a brutal season the year before uh, in 2017. And after a brutal season under Patrick Wan 2016, he put up a 920 save percentage. And Joe Sackick went into the offseason. This guy named Grubauer was available. Teams like the Islanders were the ones that were going hard after him. And Joe Sackick came out of nowhere, picked up the Brooks Orpik contract, and traded for Grubauer. There is no reason why Sackick will not try his luck in improving that position just because he can he's a guy with a lot of cap space and he's a guy with a lot of assets those two goalies being part of your assets Grubauer and Francis are big assets around the league but I just I don't buy it I know Sakic said that you know he's very comfortable with that duo I think a lot of people read that as we're coming back with that duo with that duo I read that as if we end up coming back with them we're okay with that but that doesn't mean I'm not going to go out there and try to improve on this yeah, that's an interesting take. I really like uh, where you went with that. I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's good to hear the sense of confidence from Joe Sackick, Jared Bednar on the goalies. So, you know, maybe I'll cut them a bit of a break, but we're just so frustrated by injuries around here with the goaltenders just since the times of Varley just being heartbroken year after year when we needed him yeah. most. So I think next season is going to be a shortened year, right? And it's tough to swing one-year deals, you know, especially with goaltenders who demand big money. But why not carry a, thir a third goalie again this year? Why not have two studs and Francouz, you know, have two 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 top-tier guys and then a guy of like Francouz that you can rely on if and when you need him? Because you can never have too much insurance, as these playoffs just shown with goalies and with the luck that we've had in Colorado. Why not add that extra bit of insurance just so this? problem stops happening it's a very preventable problem you mentioned the the flexibility in the cap space why not use that and prevent a very preventable issue can i throw in my name as a dark horse for who the avalanche's number three goalie should be this is going to make you laugh this is going to be make everybody that listens to this pretty much vomit in their mouth when they hear this <laughs> But I promise you he's not as bad as a season as he had last year. Can you take a guess on who I'm talking about? I'm, I don't know. Jimmy Howard. 
<laughs> why not? The guy is a goalie that has won 30-plus games in the NHL on multiple occasions. He's put up 920 save percentages on multiple occasions. He played in front of the team, the only team that was worse than the 2017 Avalanche. But the difference between the 2017 Avalanche and this year's Red Wings is the 2017 Avalanche were a good team where people looked at it and said, why do they suck so much with Landeskog and Duchesne and, and McKinnon and, and all these guys? How are they playing this bad? With the Red Wings, you just look at them and say, no, they are terrible. He only won two games. He was 2-17-2. He had a terrible season. Like, I mean, a terrible season. The year before that, he was not bad. The year before that, he was not bad. He beat out he beat out uh, Matt Duchesne in rookie voting in 2010. The top three were Tyler Myers, Jimmy Howard, and then Matt Duchesne. He's got a good track record. He's a heck of a lot better than Hutchinson because at least he's a goalie with a successful career in the NHL. He's a guy that probably will sign a $700,000 deal, a two-way deal. And he's a guy that when something happens, like what happened two weeks ago with the Avalanche, you can bring up a Jimmy Howard and say, at least he's been in the playoffs before and he's won playoff series before. We can trust him a little bit more than a Hutchinson, a little bit more than Adam Werner or Anton Bebo or whoever the hell else the Avalanche had, Hunter Miska. That's my dark horse option. I like your idea of Francis being a third goalie, but I just don't see the Avalanche carrying a third goalie that makes $2 million. I don't see Francis wanting to play in the AHL. I think he will, as respectful as a person as he is, respectfully ask Joe Sackick to trade him and say, I'm not doing that because he deserves to be in the AHL. And you got to remember, man, with the pandemic and everything going on, teams are going to be creating their own inner salary caps and... Uh, they're going to be spending a little bit less money than they usually would. And I, I just find it really hard to believe that Stan Kroenke would been to spend $2 million on a on a third-string goalie, which is why somebody like Jimmy Howard or even like an Aaron Dell in San Jose are the perfect option for who you want as a third goalie. NHL track record making league minimum salary. Yeah, and, and kind of on the back slope of their career, right, where you can get them on the cheap, like you said, with Jimmy Howard. I'm not necessarily saying Jimmy Howard's the right choice, but there's a lot of guys usually in the AHL that are starting as AHLers that you're like, oh, man, I can't believe he's in the AHL. I remember when he was putting up big stats in the NHL. So I think there's a lot of goalies you can explore, and um, it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the big names out there. But that does lead us nicely right into – our free agent conversation, you had a nice little piece on milehighsports.com that kind of addressed the upcoming free agents for the Colorado Avalanche. But um, what I really liked is that you took the time to point out who is here and that is a restricted free agent um, that needs to stay. Uh, Burakovsky and Graves are two names that come to mind, but there are, I think, three or four maybes that are in that pile. Yeah, so we got Nikita Zadorov, Tyson Jost, and I think the forgotten man as somebody that people often forget is a restricted free agent is Valerie Nichushkin. The only reason why he was a UFA last year and the Avalanche were able to pick him up is because Dallas did not, well, Dallas bought him out, but you know, yeah, it's because Dallas bought him out. He was a young player and Dallas bought him out, made him a free agent, and he signed a league minimum contract with the Avalanche, and that's the third one. Zadorov, we know how the Avalanche feel about him. They haven't given him a long-term deal. We've been beating this horse since March on this podcast about how much the Avalanche probably don't want to sign Zadorov to a long-term deal because they don't trust him with one. Um, Tyson Jost is a player that we know that he was being shopped around at the trade deadline. It was all but pretty much confirmed at that point that Tyson Jost was somebody that they were trying to get rid of. And then the third one is Valerie Nichushkin. And the reason why I bring up Valerie Nichushkin is because, yes, he had a great season. He had a lot of Selkie votes. I was surprised to see that he was eighth place in Selkie trophy voting, which was really interesting to see. Um, 
so he's he's garnered a lot of you know of of uh of respect around the NHL for the bounce back season he's had. The cool thing is he's a restricted free agent. So if you don't want to bring him back, he's your property. You can trade him and at least get a third or fourth or fifth round draft pick for him. But what I'm trying to get at is, do you really want to bring back? So Jostin Zadorov, you know, I've, I've, I've expressed my opinion on them and the fact that I, th- I think both get traded or at least Tyson Jost. But with Nichushkin, considering the fact that he's a middle six winger likely to be a third line winger do you really want to keep him in the lineup or would you rather replace him with somebody who plays a more physical gritty style of play yeah i mean nachuskin's crazy because he's such an analytics darling right now right and a lot of people are drawn to talking about nachuskin when we came into the bubble people were hammering the table for him being on the second line for a while right he even got a shot up there and slowly we saw him trickle down so i think we've seen the ceiling on Valerie Nichuskin. If there are better options, you have to go with him 100%. He's definitely not somebody you stick to. Um, you know, and Tyson Jost, Nikita Zadorov, I'd love to explore possibilities for them to stay as well. But if there are better options and you you have to get better some way, you also have to cut some pieces here and there, right? You got to break some eggs to make an omelet, I think is the saying. So um, I'd love to see all three of those guys stay, but also not going to be heartbroken if any of them leave because you know it's going to be for the betterment of the team and, and Joe Sackick just trying to move in the right direction. Yeah, so Zadorov is a very, very interesting guy to look at because we know that he's this physical, dominant, scary guy that, you know, he has a lot of respect around the NHL and media and broadcasters always talk about this big, gigantic defenseman the Avalanche have that can pretty much kick your ass on the ice. Problem is, he's not consistent. We've we've talked very, very, you know, we've talked a lot about the fact that Zadorov can make those boneheaded mistakes. Does he have a spot on this lineup next year? I don't know. Is Bowen Byram ready? If he does, does he take Zadorov's spot or does he take Ian Skull's spot? If you're going to keep one of Cole and Zadorov, who do you keep? So on and so forth. So there's a lot to discuss there. The reason why I talk about Tyson, Jose, and Valerie Nichushkin and why the Avalanche probably should move on from the both of them and why I think they will move on from the both of them is because we're seeing right now a team in Tampa Bay that was this high-skilled, high-powered team a year ago that got ousted in the first round. They were not you know, they were embarrassed. The Avalanche did not by any means lose under the same conditions or the way that Tampa Bay lost in 2019. But Tampa Bay went out in the offseason and said, we are skilled. We can score a lot of goals. Let's add physical, gritty hockey players to our team. It's not necessarily the size that matters. It's how you use it, right? So we have somebody like Valerie Nichushkin is 6'3", 6'4", but he doesn't play like it. What Tampa Bay did is they went out and acquired guys like Patrick Maroon, who I mentioned last week as someone the Avalanche should target. They went out at the trade deadline and picked up gritty, very gritty fireball players, Matt Calvert type of guys in Blake Coleman and in Barkley Goudreau. They gave up a first rounder for each one and Nolan Foote for for one of them, for Blake Coleman. And those guys mixed with the fact that they went in and picked up Luke Shen. They went in and picked up Zach Bogosian. They picked up these gritty defensemen. And if you're you're wondering what kind of depth defensemen the Avalanche need to look at to replace Connaughton and Barbario, those are the types of guys. It's the Luke Shens, it's the Zach Bogosians. Not them specifically, but those guys that can be a six, seven, eight defenseman and play with a mean streak, big hitters. When you need them in the lineup, they can come in and do exactly that. But back to the forwards, 
players that should be replacing Nichushkin and Jost as your middle six wingers, likely your bottom six wingers, are guys that are playing tough physical brand of hockey. Your Patrick Maroons, your Wayne Simmons. Let me throw out a couple more names at you. How about Matt Martin out of the Islanders? How about Josh Anderson out of Columbus, who the Avalanche may or may not have tried to trade for in the past and may or may not try to trade for again? How about you trade Tyson Jost in a package for Josh Anderson? Or should I say Josh Anderson in a package for Tyson Jost, depending on who has more uh, more value right now. But those are the type of guys the Avalanche need to bring, and those are the reasons why I truly believe that both Nachushkin and Jost will not return. Zadorov, it's just a matter of what the Avalanche want to do. Like you said, you have to crack an egg to make an omelet. The Avalanche might want to make changes on defense, and who are you going to change if it's not Zadorov? Right. Obviously, you sacrifice a lot of that grit and meanness and size and toughness by getting rid of Zadorov, so you got to replace it with more guys. And I love that philosophy. That's no secret for me. I've been saying it for years. So um, I'm for that if they decide to move into that direction. I like the names you named. I'd love a little bit more skill, though, too, right? you got to bring in that balance. you got to... If you go and get a Matt Martin, it'd be nice to bring in a Taylor Hall, too. That's why I'd love the guns to be focused on forwards and some skill and some grit in the defensive unit because um, the goalies are okay. You know, as much as we'd like to bring in a big name and a big stud, they're not the biggest issue facing the Avalanche right now except for their injuries. So that's hopefully something that's prevented next year. And, yeah, like I said, all guns a-blazing on a, on a skilled forward, somebody who can add some goals and then – bulk up the, the back end a little bit. So I, I love these ideas. I, I still don't know why, but I felt this at the trade deadline when Mark Bergevin, every time I walked into the press media lounge at the Pepsi Center, him and his biceps were sitting at the table right next to me for about a two-week period around the trade deadline. And I still can't get over this idea of a trade in my head centered around Nikita Zadorov and Tomas Tatar. Why? I don't know, but I feel like that's the kind of move the Avalanche should explore, and that's the kind of move that they probably will explore. And we're seeing Montreal bring in these big, rugged defensemen. Why not as a door off? You just love the idea of bringing in ex-Red Wings in here, don't you? That's the second one I mentioned today, and I don't even know what it is about. You know what? They got Jonathan Bernier and Patrick Nemeth. We got to see their two guys and you know bring our own. Um, I just wanted a reason to talk about Mark Bergevin having biceps that I'm very jealous of, but... I still like the idea of bringing in Tatar. I'm curious. Maybe we could do some little uh, post-podcast homework here. Um, how many De- former Detroit Red Wings ultimately wore an avalanche sweater at one time after their Red Wing career? That'd be fun to look up. Kyle Quincy, Jim Cummins. Those are two guys I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Ruslan Saleh, God rest his soul, went the other way. Um, was it Cody Golubev who just recently signed with them? I think he played with the Red Wings this year too. I could be wrong. But they've had a lot of stinkers that used to play for the Avalanche in their stinker years this past couple years. Didn't Uwe Krupp end his career as a Red Wing? I believe so. Yeah, that's another one. Well, moving on, we now know when the NHL draft will be, so it's kind of time to start looking forward to that. October 6th is the first round. It's kind of nice as Avalanche fans to not have to worry about it too much. You know, we're not looking for a savior or anything like that. But what are your initial thoughts, early thoughts going into the draft for the Avalanche here? You're the avalanche now. You need to do the kinds of things that the Bostons and the Tampa Bay... Well, Boston's a terrible example because they passed on Matt Barzell three times. But but teams like the Bostons and the Tampa Bays and these higher-powered teams, the Pittsburghs, what they do when they draft, and that's we are a powerhouse, we are a contender, we are a great team. Or even Washington when they picked up Burakovsky and Verana and all these guys. We're a great team, we're a powerhouse, we are you know contenders, but at the same time, 
when you're a contender and you see so much success, at least in the regular season, you need to continue to draft great guys in the first round that can come in and play making entry-level contract money and taking up a roster spot. Someone like Alex Newhook is going to be a very, very big uh, piece of the avalanche in the next few years because when Kale McCarr is making 8 or 9 or 10 and Landeskog is making 6 or 7 and McKinnon goes up to... Uh, he deserves league maximum, but he's probably not going to take anywhere close to that. Um, when those guys are eating up a large part of your salary, you need someone like Alex Newhook who can you know, probably give you 40, 50, 60 points, whatever the hell he turns out to be, making seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars $900,000 a year. So if you're the Avalanche, you need to keep drafting guys and, and, and sort of develop these guys, develop Martin Kaut, develop Shane Bowers, develop players that can step into your lineup when... Guys like Donskoy, who makes three point nine million, when his when his money comes off the books, when his contract expires, you want to be able to replace him with a prospect who's ready to jump in and make nine hundred thousand dollars and play a large role. My early thoughts are probably in that first round. They're not looking at a defenseman. I want to see a potent forward, maybe even a European guy come in here. And I look yep. back at the. Miko Rantanen project and how perfectly they executed that. They drafted him, got him his nine games in the NHL, didn't burn his ELC, let him, you know, let him ripen in the AHL where he kind of lit it up and, and did really well. But of course, you're not going to get anyone of that caliber, but you just love the way they grew him and, and got him ready and were patient with him. You want to see that again because they have the room to be patient with somebody. So get somebody who can really bury some goals, somebody who's just a talent, skilled forward. I think that's what you're you're looking at at round one. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's plenty of those guys in this year's draft. This year's draft is going to be very, very stacked, and there's going to be a lot of forwards available in the first round. Some guys that slip into the second round that deserve to be first-round players in other years. Um, the Avalanche are going to be drafting in that 22 to 27 range, obviously, uh, and they're going to get a good player. They just have to make sure they, they find the right guy that suits their style of play and someone that they can develop. Development, we as we know, has been a huge problem for the Avalanche in the past. Uh, Rantanen is a good example. Tyson Jost, not so much. Martin Kaut, hopefully he does become a good example. Um, but those players will be available. We'll get into it more closer to the draft. We'll you know sort of have a draft preview and look at some prospects that they can pick up with that pick. Uh but I agree. I mean, right now they they have somebody, they can pick up somebody that could help them in a few years, and somebody that could be a big part of this team in a few years because they're going to have so many guys eating up such a large portion of the cap at that time. And the Avs, I think, have just a really strong European scouting presence that they're very capable they of finding a, a steal over there. So that's that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm banking on a, a European skilled goal scoring steal. Yeah, that's what we all want, and it's. Uh, Damn, that was say that three times fast. <laughs> That's what we all want, and I'm sure the Avalanche are open to the idea of drafting someone that they can develop over two to four years or whatever it may be. Because this team just doesn't need them right away anymore. They are so unbelievably stacked, and they have Alex Newhook probably going to play one more year in college, assuming the season goes on before coming in to the NHL. So they can develop a player. They can give him some time, and they can wait for him to to become the player that he needs to be. It's going to be awkward and kind of boring that they're doing the virtual draft. We saw it once with the NFL, how weird and lame that kind of was. So get ready for that. 
it, it is what it is, man. It's 2020. The draft is October 6th. We should be covering opening night around that time, and we're going to be talking about a draft on Zoom. So it is what it is, right? Speaking of the NFL, it sure was nice seeing the teams back out on the gridiron over the weekend. Luckily for us, that was just week one. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of Week 2, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the app right now, and you're not going to want to miss this offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right. You can place a $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you cash out a cool Benjamin. How could you pass that one up? If you're new to DraftKings Sportsbook, head to the app right now to scout their latest offers. Bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, a sportsbook that goes wherever you go. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during Week 2 Bet $1 on them and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win 100 when you use the promo code MHS during sign-up for limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Speaking of DraftKings, I uh, hope our listeners don't have... Vegas in this game because as you may know it is now two to two Dallas has scored a power play goal and tied it up and that very very depressingly boring team is suddenly tied with three minutes left in the third with an opportunity to head to the Stanley Cup final as my betting luck will have it I do have Vegas on this game so thanks for uh, spoiling that for me and now I'm going to be bummed the rest of the podcast so I do too so you and I both my friend (laughs) sticking with uh I guess another bummer. No, it's not really a bummer at all. Martin Kaut has been officially declared on loan. Um, I forget the team in the Czech Republic, but he's going to be starting uh, this first, I guess, fall part of the season over there um, playing for, uh, what team is it? I forget what team it is, but yes, he is going to the Czech League, and you said it the second time. This is not a bummer at all. This is a great move. It's a smart move, and a lot of the NHL teams are taking advantage of being able to do this. Uh Apparently, we're a Red Wings podcast today because the Red Wings are doing this with their prospects. They have Larson, the goaltender who used to play at DU, is now in their AHL and ECHL uh, system. He's starting the season in Sweden. Philip Zadina, that sixth overall pick that they had a couple of years ago, he's starting the season overseas as well. Um, there's a lot of guys on a lot of teams doing that, and it's simply because... In Europe, in the KHL, in Sweden, in the Czech, they're starting their hockey now. Some of them have already started. Some of them are starting in the coming weeks. The NHL, AHL are probably not going to play until 2020. We hope the AHL is going to be back because if it's not, it's just going to be a big, gigantic mess for all these teams that have all these prospects that they're trying to develop. College is, you know, has been postponed, and we don't know when exactly it's going to start. So for a lot of these young players, it makes sense to go play competitive hockey. I'm fully on board for Martin Kaut going out there because he needs to develop his game. He's already been sitting for so long, and for him to sit even longer probably doesn't make sense. So no, this is not a bummer at all. This is a smart move, and I'm glad the Avalanche are giving the the okay for their young player to go do this. Right. It was okayed by Sackick, uh, 
our friends over at Eurolanch even reported that Milan Hayduke had a hand in yep, I saw that. getting him over there too. But yeah, it's going to be great. You saw a lot of teams do this back in the lockout. You know, you would see big name players go to some ho-hum team that we've never even heard of in the middle of Switzerland just to keep their yeah. skills sharp. So why not? Why not stay in that in-game action rather than just doing lonely skates? And that's why I think you know, there's always such a, a big advantage for guys who go play junior rather than go to the NCAA because you're just playing so much practice in NCAA and so few games where in-game action is really where you develop your skill. And that's why you see USA Hockey at young age development. They really encourage you to, to make them play games because that's where you learn the most. That's where you really hone things in. So, yeah, practice is important, but it's it's not a game. Not a game. We're talking about practice, man. <laughs> We're talking about practice, man. Allen Iverson, great quote. Uh, I agree with that. That's why it takes some college players four years to develop. That's why Tyson Jules probably should have stayed at North Dakota for another year. Uh, that's why Kerfoot was a 23-year-old unrestricted free agent, Tyler Bozak, and so on and so on and so on. Um, but yeah, I mean, in regards to Martin Cowd, I'm, I'm fully on board for this. I hope more Avalanche players find a way to do this if they need to. Um, even guys like Shane Bowers who are North American, why not have them go overseas and play somewhere where they can get their feet wet, play a skilled game, play a, in a professional league, and then eventually make their way back over here. So um, welcome to 2020. It's unprecedented times, and, and this is just another addition to that. Is it because he's kind of a AHL, NHL bubble guy that he gets that flexibility? Because I'm sure if Nathan McKinnon said, hey, I want to go over and play for – Joker would never okay that. Yes, that's yeah. exactly why. It's uh, somebody who you don't are not invested into as much. Uh, if the NHL locks out his players and the players want to go to Europe, uh, the NHL can't say a word because it's go to hell. That's why. Uh, that's why Joe Thornton and all these guys were able to go to you to Russia and to the KHL and to Switzerland for Joe Thornton's sake in 2013 and in 2005, even back then. Um, but yeah, that is exactly why. Well, uh, yeah, can't hurt him. It's only going to help we'll see come training camp time how big of an advantage that actually gives him versus guys who didn't go so that'll be kind of a fun little test trial experiment to keep an eye on last thing I wanted to get to here was the Jim Gregory GM of the year award of course Lou Lamarillo from the New York Islanders was named the recipient but of course relating it to the avalanche I just wanted to get a little bit into what you think it's going to take for Joe Sackick to win this award because for the last two three seasons he's really made some of the biggest splashes in the NHL but still won't get the nod for the GM of the year award you want to know what would have made the difference for Joe Sackick winning it this year winning winning that game seven overtime because the voting was done at the end of the second round and Jim Neal was a top three recipient with Lou Lamorello and with uh Julian Brisebois and Tampa Bay for making all the moves that we just talked about. Julian Brisebois wasn't even the one that won it. It was Lou Lamorello. And the funny thing is, Lamorello didn't do much this past 12 months. His two big additions were Peugeot at the deadline, Andy Green at the deadline, and Semyon Varlamov when Robin Leonard walked. Um, and we still don't know if that was the right move or not. But Varlamov's having a great year. Granted, he's playing under Barry Trotz and Mitch Korn. Basically, still stings to watch. It does. It does a little bit. I'm happy for the guy. He deserves a success. I don't know if the Islanders are even going to make it out of game five. Uh, I don't even know if friggin' Vegas is going to make it out of this game. It's going to overtime. Jeez. God, Dallas is like a parasite. They don't go away. <laughs> um, uh, but shit, back to what I was saying. Joe Sackick. Joe Sackick probably would have won that if he won the game seven. Uh, 
he lost a lot of votes because he didn't win that game seven and they ended up giving it to Lamorello because he's an old guy and the media loves their old guys and it's an old guy's club and or should I say the general managers voted on it so they voted on it after the second round I don't know why but moral of the story if the Avalanche won that game seven overtime Joe Sackick would have probably won this award he should have won it regardless because he did have the best offseason and the best year in total it sounds to me like people who have voting powers are getting lazy with their decision making and not doing the proper research because anybody who would have looked into it. And that's it, why I'm not getting into yeah, it. Yeah, anybody who would have looked into it would have seen that, again, injuries are the reason Joe Sakic didn't have success. It wasn't the way he built his team. If anything, he built his team up for the best chance of success that he could have possibly done and better than anyone in the league. So I question once again who's voting for this and why um, you know, why they're not putting more effort into it. The Avalanche had like a million injuries and their twelfth forward was still better than Gabriel Bork, who was their twelfth forward a couple years ago. That should tell you all you need to know about the way that Sakic has turned this team around and how quickly he's done it. I hate to take the uh, Homer stance, but I, I you know, I, I really feel that way for Joe Sakic and it sounds like you and I want an Avalanche player to win every trophy. I mean there's the Calder of the Heart, now the Lady Bing. We're hammering the table for the Jim Gregory Award. Why not Jared Bednar get the, the Jack, Jack Adams? Adams. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I, I love that you went there because I, I I have my opinions on that too. But you know what, man? We are an avalanche podcast, and that's why we focus so heavily on them. Uh, I, I can't take anything away from Bruce Cassidy. He deserved that award. Lou Lamorello for the GM of the year. I'm not so sure about it. Well, yeah. That's why we do Avalanche Podcast, and I hope everybody enjoys the Avalanche Podcast that we do. Uh, that's pretty much a wrap. That's all I've got on the docket for today. I don't even have three stars because, you know, not much uh, direction to give three stars to. So I do want to end the podcast by telling you guys we got a very big surprise coming up very soon here. It involves Ryan Bolding and myself. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And I know Arif, he's going to have a little bit of a hand in it as well. So I'm telling you guys, this will be fun. You're going to like it. Just keep an eye out in the next week or so. Wait, wait, wait. Who the hell is Ryan Bolding? Yeah, right. Who, who's Ryan Bolding? You were Did, the big, you were the biggest Ryan Bolding and JJ fan out there a year ago, uh, Arif. I, I don't know what you're talking about, a man. This is the JJ and Arif podcast. I'm the only one that's ever been on. I'm just kidding. Ryan Balding's a hell of a guy. I'm glad that he's uh, going to be doing something in some way, some sort. I don't want to get heavily into details, but uh, yeah, it is a big surprise. It's a nice surprise, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I got that off my chest. Anything you want to get out there before we head out? That's pretty much it, man. Uh Let's hope Vegas wins this game and then probably loses in game six because Dallas is a parasite that won't go away. But this is Tampa Bay's year, and if Dallas ruins that, I'm going to be really sad. I know nobody cares, but I have a playoff fantasy, and I actually have Dallas's goaltending, so I'm okay if Dallas gets through, but that's neither here nor there. Everybody yeah, hates let's it. keep that to yourself, buddy. Everybody hates that. Now I, now I hate it. I guess... We'll just end the podcast on that. And don't forget, we're, we're doing some great draft podcasts, too. we got to announce those as well, Arif. So yes, keep yeah. an eye out I did for kind of I did kind of hint at that, but we're going to have a nice surprise in terms of our draft podcast draft podcast as well. Uh, probably the week of the draft, hopefully a week before the draft. So uh, we're going to have some good information, some good content regarding prospects and who the Avalanche may draft. Just stick around, wait for early October for that. It's going to be exciting. Yep. Feel free to comment on my new Twitter picture, too. It was a hard change. I feared the change. I had that other picture for 13 years. So come look at my face. Say hi. 
Other than that, that's a wrap for Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already, at RunRightArif, at JJ of the Year. Other than that, hockey is for everyone, and we out you. Said the referee.